<clears throat> Did you want any water or something? No, I think it's... I mean, I, tr- I tried to do my drinking beforehand to but eliminate mouth sounds. Mouth sounds! Yeah, I know. That's why I was. That's why I drank the water before. But if I have the water in front of me, I'll drink it, and then you'll get drinking sounds, which are worse than mouth sounds. Ah, hell. I will have one. I'm just going to put mine on the placemat. Is that okay? You're getting your, getting your custom-made $10,000 uh, podcast coaster. For, it's, yeah, it's made from recycled it's made out of, Yeah, it's made out of feathers, uh, feathers of a rare bird and, uh, and, uh, and a special uh, high-tech rayon. Well, there's nothing I like more than... Hi- high-tech rayon. Destroying rare birds. <laughs> I know you love Ortolan. Ortolan? Or, Ortolan. What, what's the, the French dish with the, the they, where they like stuff the bird full of dates and they puck, pluck it alive and then drown it in cognac. Oh my god. I yeah. do not know. Yeah. I don't know that I ever <laughs> want to know. <laughs> it's fucking horrific. It's something only the French could do. Something only like a European colonial power at the height of its opulence <laughs> could devise. <laughs> what if how do you stuff a bird while it's alive? Like, like no, like they no force feed it a bunch of dates. Oh, okay. Like, like you stuff it's it's in it's, it's, it's digestive tract with dates. Um, yeah. Well, pluck, I think you pluck it alive first, then you stuff its digestive tract with dates, and then you dr- last step you drown it in cognac. The drowning in cognac, I just cannot see as being beneficial. <laughs> no, it's good. You want the cognac? There's something about the cognac. It, it it's the kind of thing a person who's like yes. I own Vietnam. <laughs> right. Now, yes. watch me drown this bird for my own amusement that I tortured for my own amusement. Um, you've been listening to uh, Emissaries of Profits, an Androids and Asset podcast. Androids and Assets, the bi-monthly podcast that will mail you a wax cylinder um, to your gramophone, <laughs> giving you the latest science fiction content and analysis. Uh, Content from 1993. Well, I mean, it can't be from 1993. It could be be from other times as well. Um, But anyway, today we are talking about Deep Space Nine. Yes. Uh, Season one, episode six, Q-less. Q-less? Yeah, I I mean, I kept looking for the relationship to the Clueless television show, which I think would have also just started. Well, there's a movie, right? And then <laughs> yeah. I think, but the television show would have also started around this time. Oh, yeah. So. No, I'm, it's clearly a reference but, to that, but also yeah, just yeah. working in Q. But but isn't at all. No. <laughs> Where was the clue? Unless there's some, like, really deep 90s cuts. I need, I, uh, we, need we need to find a clueless podcast and we <laughs> go back over and fucking tear this apart looking for uh, intersectional points. Yeah. I think it's because they called the last episode that had Q in it, they called it Cupid. <laughs> and so then this one, they're like, Q-less. Right, yeah. So 90s. Yeah. You really did not need to do that. Anyway. All right. Are you going to do a summary? Quick summary. So this is, uh, it's a weird episode. Um, Dax, it starts off Dax coming back through the wormhole in a shuttle, and she has a human with her that she picked up in the uh, Gamma Quadrant. That's weird. Super weird. Do we know this human? Well, and then uh, fortunately we have... Uh, Miles O'Brien waiting to greet them as they get off the shuttle. And he goes, holy moly, that's Vash, Captain Picard's paramour. <laughs> and he's like, Vash? Paramour? What the hell are you doing here? 
sorry. <laughs> I, I, that, that's a great way to describe it. Anyway, continue. <laughs> continue with your summary. Uh, and then Vash is like, oh, yeah, I recognize you from, I, I don't know, like Transporter Bay 3 of the Enterprise. I How's beamed you down to Rigel. Uh, Riza. 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 Come on. Riza. Yeah. Uh, Risa, just Risa, R-I-S-A, you know. I beamed you you down to Risa to fuck the captain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. How's the captain doing? (laughs) Oh, no, she says, how's Picard doing? And then, uh, Miles says, the captain? (laughs) He's doing fine? (laughs) It's awkward. It's awkward, as you would expect your, your, your former boss's, meeting your former boss's lover, uh, would be. Um, so yeah, moving on. What's she doing there? Uh... Well, so she she has a bag full of like, I guess priceless knickknacks. Uh, yeah, antiquities from the Gamma Quadrant. Like like a ten year old coming back from summer camp. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. just picked up random stuff. She's like, I got this knife. I got this rock. I got a doll. <laughs> Super. Uh, and they're all from right. the Gamma Quadrant. So obviously everyone wants to Del- buy them. Delta Quadrant. No, Gamma Quadrant. You're right. Sorry. The wormhole goes to the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah. I yeah. apologize. Sorry. No, it's okay. Sorry, Voyager everyone. goes to the Delta Quadrant. I, I get not them mixed a, up all the time. I'm not. I've realized from doing a Star Trek podcast and, and interacting with the Star Trek fan community that I, I don't count as a fan. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not I, true. I, I am. I just. You I are absolutely a fan. I don't have the knowledge. I don't no. have the knowledge base. I mean, yeah, that's fine. But you can still, you can be a fan. You don't have to know everything about something to be a fan. That's true. Gatekeeping is a problem, and don't gatekeep yourself, and don't gatekeep others. No, I, I never would, because I, I, I feel awful. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. You're a fan. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a no, I'm but a... I mean, you have put in literal hours... That's true. ...talking about Star Trek. I have, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, should, I shouldn't discount myself. But there, the, the depth of knowledge that exists is, is remarkable. I'm sorry, I am really bad for digressions today. It's, it's, uh, it, it is remarkable, and I'm nowhere near it, and... and I wow people with the, the minutia that I can spout off about Star Trek. Um, we, we are not worthy. <laughs> no. Okay, so Vash. She's got a bag full of goodies that have come from the Gamma Quadrant, and uh, she's looking to offload them. Uh, she obviously meets Quark, who is looking to make a quick buck any way that he can. He's like, hey, I can arrange an auction for you, because I guess it's going to be illegal for her to sell these things. No one can really dispute her ownership of these goods. So I don't think the Federation will say you're not allowed to have them. Uh, and no one can verify if they're actually like legitimate real goods that are so rare that she shouldn't have them. Like they, yeah. they could be, they could be worthless trinkets that she picked up anywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway. And then her transit into the Delta Quadrant is not verifiable because she was just like, what are you doing here randomly? Like, like we just found this 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 route here. Like <laughs> we have no record of you going in, right? Yeah. So, like she 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 comes back out of it. Like, it looks whatever. mighty suspicious. Anyway, so she, she's going to have an, an illegal auction, um, and then this is when Quark, uh, sorry, when Q shows up, and he's jealous that she has left him and and wants her back, and she's adamant that she's not going to go with him anymore. Uh, I, I mean, I kind of get her point. He's creepy. He's super creepy. He also doesn't like that she's been doing ear stuff with Quark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's so awkward. <laughs> awkward scene. <laughs> it, it, we, we, we learn a little bit about Quark, maybe more than we wanted to. Well, I mean, because Quark is like, let's let's do this. And he's like, we could split the, the profits, you know, like uh, 60-40. I'll get 60, you'll get 40. And she's like, uh, no way, that's not happening. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. I guess we could go 50-50. 
and then she starts giving him umaks. Uh, and and what are what are umaks? Uh, you know, well, Ferengi have these big ridged ears that go across their forehead, and when you rub their ears, um, it, it's kind of like giving them a hand job, I guess. He's all for it. Umaks, yeah. And uh, uh, she hoses him because I don't know. He's she's really good, just at about it, orgasming and <laughs> can't think straight. He got what he wanted out of it, though. He, he seemed satisfied at anyway, the end. Anyway, Q. Q is jealous. He keeps showing up um, and doing weird things to people who are talking to her. He'll, he'll just like make them disappear, or he puts Bashir to sleep for a few days. Uh, he eventually he meets Commander Cisco. They have a, an old fashioned boxing nineteen thirties fisticuffs. See, yeah, uh, it's it's ridiculous. It's weird. Q versus Cisco, match of the century for the heavyweight belt. Uh, and then when Cisco punches him, he's like, "Yeah, Picard would never have done that." Like, yeah, because Cisco is like insane, uh, and that's that's how he rolls. Uh, at the same time, the the ship is experiencing uh, some phenomenon. There's a buildup of gravitons or something. I don't know. It's, it's bad. Weird. It's bad. It's they're like, it, oh man, yeah. this. We need to do something about this. It's not really having any effect now, but if left alone, it will, I guess, kill everybody in seconds at the end. So yeah, okay. they're like, oh crap, there's too many gravitons. Okay, let's like make our shields stronger, uh, and so they build up like they they put more power to the shields, and and that only then leads to a further buildup of gravitons. It's like a feedback loop. It's bad. Bad news bears. You know, okay, whatever. So uh, Quark is meanwhile, you know, uh, gathering. Uh, shady characters. Yeah. Bringing them all to the station. Because if you're going to have uh, an illegal auction, the best place to do it is in the middle of a military installation. <laughs> that's that's a known fact. Like, I mean, it depends on what kind of shady thing you want to do. But <laughs> Well, if we're talking about a shady, a shady open artif- auction. artifact auction. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, I, yeah, sure, <laughs> militaries are famous for stealing yeah. artifacts from other places well, you know. and auctioning them off or... Whatever. That's what they do. Yeah. I mean that yeah, the museum the, the museum in Iraq got robbed like immediately. <laughs> I think most of the museums in England got filled that way, so <laughs> Yeah. It's true. Um yeah. Um there was also a really great scene that I, I really loved, uh, where Vash wanted to store her stuff in like a secure locker. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so she like just thumps down this bag and uh is like you know, verifies that the place is secure, whatever biometrics and so on and so forth. And the like, the proprietor just goes through the bag and like a dagger, fourteen ounces, <laughs> made of metal. Yeah, j- j- auto. Yeah, verbally dictates w- what's going into the the storage locker. Um, uh, but somehow he can like he just you know, he knows, knows what things the weight weigh. and uh, like the composition. He's like, oh, this is ceramics, or this is like. You're like, these have all come from the Gamma Quadrant. There is no way that he should know what they are. I mean, okay. I, I mean, yeah, I, I suppose I suppose maybe, yes, he can just look at a metal and know exactly what type of metal it is, no matter what. There's a lot of metals that they use. That, that, that's fair. Anyway, anyway it's kind of It was crazy. super weird. Yeah, and anyway. It was just kind of hilarious to watch him just, like, yeah. heft something and know it down to, like... <laughs> like how many grams it was, yeah. 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 That is a skill. What are you doing here, man? Take that on the road. <laughs> Impress some nerds. Uh, it was it was amazing. Okay, so a bunch of Great. anyway, a bunch of shady weirdos come to the station 
and there's an auction. At and this then, point, the auction, like the the station, has like turned everything off except for like life support. All shut down. So like, if we keep running power, the gravitons keep getting stronger. What's going on here? Uh, and then they consult with Vash because she's like, "Oh yeah, the same thing happened on my ship before it blew up." Uh, and then Q says, "Yeah, the thing you're looking for is down. It's like, at quarks. Yeah, like at yeah, quarks. Yeah." And everyone's you like, stop this yeah, well, you... like, let's keep looking. Let's figure out what this is. Why is this going on? Quir- Q is like, go to Quarks. That's where it's yeah. at. Vash has the thing. And uh, she's also very, basically verified this to you. And like, we can't trust you, Q. What's your game? Like, yeah. I could kill you with a thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are you so incredulous? <laughs> if I wanted you dead, you'd be dead. Like, uh, if, anyway. Um, and then... The auction goes off uh, with only one hitch, uh, which is that they get to the end and the prize. Starfleet bursts, bursts in. And yeah. There's a like the, the, the gem, the prize, the prize item, for. the one that was going to make Quark his his fortune, turns out to be an egg. It hatches a weird. They teleport off the station. It explodes. It hatches a space manta ray that goes through the wormhole back to the. Back home. Back home to the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah. I'm super impressed that it knew... To go through the wormhole? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm, that's great. Uh, yeah. And then everyone's happy. Uh, Quark's, Quark's fortune slips through his fingers. Yeah, Quark is not happy. He's like, damn yeah. it. I had so much money. Uh, so much gold press latinum. I had so much future value. <laughs> I couldn't turn, sell it into other future value. <laughs> Uh, and then it ends with, uh, you know, Vash and Quark striking up a new deal to steal some other antiques yeah. from a place, and Vash, like, refusing Q one more time, and like, no, Q, go away, nobody likes you. <laughs> He's like, fine, I guess I will. <laughs> and that's that's the end of it. It's great. Yeah. It's it's a weird episode. Yeah, I mean, we've got, we, we're, I think we're in a, we're, I think we're in just a stretch of those right now. Um, we're just kind of like a, yeah. Well, I yeah, mean, definitely kind of the deep space nine is there's a mid season lull here. So we're in like. Well, I mean, it might be a first season lull. Star Trek is kind of famous for you know not really finding its footing until yeah season three or yeah. four. Um. So like okay, a couple of things that we talked about briefly already. I think for us, for me, the the most interesting part of this was the auction. Yeah. Um. I had questions about about like why they were having an auction or. Or having an auction on the station itself. It seemed to be a very illicit activity. It was like, oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting all these criminals here. And Odo is very interested in who's coming on the station and, and is worried about should these sort of unsavory characters be here on Deep Space Nine. And I mean, I guess maybe unsavory characters just happen to have more money than savory characters. But if it's not illegal, then then, you know, like, why are we having unsavory characters here Quark, and if I have, it is illegal, I have deep reservations about you bringing Jeff Bezos onto the station <laughs> <laughs> if it was illegal wouldn't Odo just be arresting these people and shutting the, the auction down well like yeah I mean it's not it's not clear um, yeah so I mean there, there's your it's like a gray area yeah. thing and it's like and, so it's, and this whole issue of like like I mean very obviously like she's like Vash herself is like kind of also like I guess in some sense respected because now they want you know, she's been part of, like, the archaeological society and things like this. So clearly they don't have a problem with acquiring artifacts, but yet they're also like, oh, you can't just steal things from another culture. It's that, it's the Indiana Jones paradox of Indiana Jones being like, this guy coming to, like, take a, you know, 
take a an idol from a cult like that culture's representation of their god away and indiana jones like you can't take that and sell it to someone it belongs in a museum right no they you know ignorant to the paradox no it should remain with the people to whom made it and use it and to whom it actually belongs uh yeah yeah uh so then moving beyond sort of like whether this auction is legal or illegal or moral or not moral right um we get to sort of the the verifiability of these goods, right? Vash has said, yes, these are all from the Gamma Quadrant, and yes, they're all valuable and they're all rare. No one can dispute her claim on this. Everyone just has to take it at face value. Yeah. And apparently they do, which is fine. Like, are we going to talk about the theory of surplus value? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is surplus value. Well, yes. <laughs> Uh, but how much surplus value does it have, and how does it acquire that surplus value? By through trade. Well, yeah. Whatever anybody's willing to pay for it is its well, surplus you know, value. There you go. Uh, that's why I'm curious why anybody assigns value to it. value to it. Yeah, because they have no way of actually knowing if this is the last whatever fertility statue from a random planet in the Gamma Quadrant. Literally, no one has heard of yet. Yeah, but they hope to hear about it soon. And I guess this is this is maybe where it gets valued because there becomes this. It's, it becomes a speculate. It becomes a speculative. Sure, but the only way to actually know if it has value is to admit it and submit it to somebody who can then verify it. And as soon as you've done that, you have admitted to having a good that you shouldn't have, and you probably won't get it back from whomever you, to to from from whomever it was submitted. Right? Like if you have to give it to an expert at the Daystrom Institute to find out if it was actually for fertility statue or, from or, a random planet yeah. in the Gamma Quadrant, or you wait for other stuff. I'm not going to give it to you. Or you wait for other stuff to come in. Like it's a, it's a, it could be you, you could be speculating basically on on future cultural significance. Like right. you know, it's yes. like like investing in a like a record label investing in a band. Except with this, it's a statue. It's a bad example. Yeah, because it's more like a record label investing in a band that's already done and only has a single record <laughs> left. <laughs> It's not a good example, but you know, like they're 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 betting on this having a cultural cachet in the future, and they're being like, first of all, the notion that people keep these like again very nineteenth century like uh, nature cabinet like that, 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 that there's a trade in people trading knickknacks from other cultures, but yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, that <laughs> it, it is Fed weird. The Federation is very nineteenth century. I mean, they fetishize it very heavily. Yeah. Um, uh okay and then and then the other th one like parts parts of this auction that are interesting to me um they're doing it an in person auction there's no there's no virtual aspect to this at all no one like coming in by hologram no or no one's hollowing in you don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah like they turn off the holodeck. It's not quarks. They're in there in the adjacent holodeck to quarks. It's just a hologram of quarks with hollow uh, attendees. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, it just kind of it makes more sense to do it that way in my mind. Like, if this is illegal, then you've never actually set foot there. Maybe they don't want the data traffic. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's more secure to appear in person. Uh, yeah, sure. Maybe it's more secure to appear in person. But then, wouldn't it be even more secure to appear on a pleasure barge? Yeah, do it offshore. Yeah, <laughs> rent, rent, rent the Yangtze. Right, <laughs> run, run it out there. Yeah, I'm uh, off Bezos. I'm, I'm, I'm forty. We're in, I'm 40, we're in interplanetary yeah, I am space six now. Astral units from Bezos Lagrange point. <laughs> <laughs> I am near its Oort cloud, which is international space. No one has jurisdiction here. It's fine. Uh, yes, I don't know how big six astral units is with that. 
Oh, yeah, six astro units will get you well out of the solar system. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. Okay, I'm going to trust you on that one. <laughs> Much like Quark trusts Vash. <laughs> he doesn't no give a, reason he doesn't to. Give a shit. <laughs> the Umaks. <laughs> the Umaks. Uh, ooh, wait, that's not the reason I trust you. <laughs> Uh, and then, okay, so something that, that, that I thought I thought might be interesting to talk about, uh, it was sort of an economics-y thing that happened, is that they actually have an auction. Yeah. And auctions are very interesting to economists because it's a way of assigning value among a group of people to a specific good or, or item, right? Uh, and the type of auction that they have is a, an open ascending price auction, uh, otherwise known as an English auction this is obviously where it's like this it, this is it, the auction that everyone thinks of. it's the one you know yeah it's the famous auction <laughs> exactly yeah. it's the auction yeah. that happens all the time you've got like an auctioneer who starts off the price says here's what bidding starts at and then everyone like you know touches their nose or tips their hat or raises a flag something uh and or just shouts out a price that they're willing to pay uh there's no limit to the number of times you can bid you just get to keep going and until no one bids any higher. And then the whatever the last bid was, they're the winner, and that's the price that they pay. Um, it's neat and it's fun because it happens in the moment and you see it happening and you get into like you might get into to bidding wars with people where you're like, oh, but I really want this thing. So if I just bid another piece of gold pressed latinum, then like I might get it from them. If I spend more money than Max's wife's husband, she'll take me back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh Rich people problems. <laughs> uh, this this is contrasted. Then there's there's three other types of of relatively like famous auction types. Uh, you have the Dutch auction, which is a, 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 a an open descending price. Five million, four million. Yeah, yeah. So it like the the auctioneer starts off at a high price and goes lower. And then as soon as he hits a price that you're willing to pay, you touch your nose or tip your hat or raise your flag, whatever. Uh, and the bidding stops right then, <laughs> and you just pay that price. Uh, so this one is kind of like it gets a bit more like into mind games where you're like, okay, if I wait any longer, mm-hmm. is somebody going to bid before me, or am I going to hose myself by bidding right. too high? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like you, there's that tension of waiting where you're like, okay, this is my – this is like it's reached my my best alternative to non-agreement, but maybe I can go down and get a better price. Like I'm willing to pay what he's – what the the price is at now, but, but no one else is. Mm-hmm. So can I – how long can I wait until someone else is willing to pay? And then you add the pressure of time. Yeah. Yeah, and, you, and you've created a created something of a something of a pressure cooker for rational decision making. Yes. Yeah. These uh it's called a Dutch auction because it was famously used um well in the Netherlands uh when they were doing their their tulip bulb yeah. sales and they had a tulip price bubble. <laughs> it's famous. It's the, the famous tulip bubble. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a famous tulip bubble. And then, Come on, yeah. tell me you've heard about the famous tulip. No, no, yeah. No, no. I mean, I only know of two bubbles, the tulip bubble and the dot com. So, <laughs> and, and then dot com 2.0. I guess that's three and the real estate bubble. That's four bubbles. <laughs> But the tulip bubble, by far the most famous. Yeah. It's the one you know. It's the English. The tulip bubble is the English auction of bubbles. Uh, and then you also have um, you have a sealed first price auction uh, in which you just you announce what the good is, uh, and then everyone puts their price like in an envelope uh, and, and submits it. 
Um, these, these sometimes happen at like silent auctions. You might have this where it happens. Um, I also think of it happening a lot of times when like Ducks Unlimited Canada is selling a print in a grocery store. Yeah. Do they ever make money on those? I have no idea. I, I, I mean, they keep doing yeah. it. So they yeah, must. It's like, it's like, yeah. Like here's a, here's a, here's a photo collage of Connor McDavid. Uh, please give us $200. Like, yeah. I, and, and everyone just like, you just write down your information and, and a price and you put it in. And if you're the person who bid the highest, you pay what you, you wrote get down, that photo collage. And then you get that photo collage or you get a print from. And then I presume you rip it out because you, all you wanted, wanted know, was the frame. A famous wildlife <laughs> painter. Yeah. Who am I thinking of? Ugh, my grandma would know. Thomas Kincaid, the painter of light. Yes, yes. He's famous <laughs> for his wildlife no, portraits. I don't know, I don't know. Okay, Victorian cottages with rivers that make no sense. But um, anyway. They're kind um, of animals. <laughs> Uh, and then you have a closed second price auction uh, and a closed second price. This To me, it's super interesting because everyone submits their price the same way. Uh, and whoever bid the highest is the winner of the auction. But you only pay what the second highest bidder offered. <gasps> so that you get sort of like, you say, you, you put your max price in there because you hope to win. But you know that you don't have to pay your max price. You only have to pay someone else's maximum price. So you're going to save whatever kind of like is, is the difference between those two. Um, so it's, it's designed to try and get people to pay, more, like to bid higher. Uh, In the hopes that someone will bid lower. It, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like you bid, mm-hmm. you bid as much as you're willing to pay because you know that someone, like if you win, you're not going to pay that. You don't know what you'll Hopefully pay. Hopefully one person was willing to pay considerably less than you. Right. Exactly. You're like, if I really loved this thing, but no one else does, I'll get it for a steal. Whereas, like, if you're doing a like a, 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 a an open descending, that's a long time of like nail biting. Yeah. Whereas, like this one, you just sort of it's a lot more cool. Get it? There's a little more cool, but there's also more mind games. Yeah. Is there is there is there any uh, consensus on which auction is like? I guess it depends on the good. But is there a consensus on like what auction format is optimal? Uh, no, I think you're right that it just sort of depends on on the good that you're selling. Um, if you're selling, you wouldn't want to do like an uh, an English auction for your uh, wild your ducks unlimited wildlife painting because people would be like, "Can I get five dollars <laughs> for dollars? this?" I know. Uh, yeah, and, like, and I, yeah, all right. <laughs> I, it, I think it also depends on on what your optimal conditions are. Right, like if you're selling, you want to just get the highest price for it. Um, whereas if you're if you're doing something like um, selling the price in a, a, a pool for energy regulators, um, mm. you're hoping to get the lowest price. Yeah, right. So like you do a different type of auction for it. Right, because yeah. people well, people aren't going to get into an emotional. F- you're not going to have like obscenely rich people who don't know what money is getting into like weird dick measuring contests. Well, yeah, like, and, and yeah. I mean like the like energy pricing is a, a completely different thing. But you, yeah, you just can't do like an English auction of energy pricing because you're not looking like you're looking. You're you're doing sort of an auction in that case of like how much are you willing to sell a good to me? You all have the same good. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to figure out sort of like what's the lowest price that someone yeah. can find, right? Yeah. So it's the, well, the English auction, I guess, works, and this is, I guess, a, a, a strike for Quark, and it kind of works when you have are the only person who's selling that, right? right. You're, and, you're making and, people come to you and then do the tedious and humiliating task of wrangling in an auction to buy something. So yeah, uh, you've got to you've got to have something pretty special. Yeah, and and I think um, the English auction probably 
ends up with the most opportunity for people to behave irrationally. Mm-hmm. That all of a sudden they're like, oh, like that guy did bid, but I don't think he can bid any higher. So I'm going to, I'm just going to put in another 50 pieces of gold press latinum. It adds the crazy Vegas factor. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, there's not one thing that's optimal. There's probably things that are optimal for specific conditions. I'm not, I'm not like an auction theorist in any, in any way. I know a little what? <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not a jack of all trades, okay? Okay, one, one of the things I do want to talk about, I think, is, is one of the things I'm very interested in is actually this, this notion of like art and like cultural artifacts as actually um, vessels for holding wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually this is, this is a real world problem that we have today. Um, if you look at like, you know, like, like lots of, lots of paint, lots of, you know, um, wealthy individuals will hold wealth in their paintings. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because they'll, they'll, you know, it, it, it will hold its value yep. right? and hold its, and hold its value relative to inflation. That's not really an investment. It won't really generate revenue or anything, but it, it will, you know, you get them, you buy a Monet in 1995 and it will be worth Roughly the same, plus minus inflation, maybe a little more uh, in twenty twenty five. Yep. So yeah. Have you heard about the? Um, there's these weird duty free ports. Yes. Yeah, which is what I was building to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then this notion, this notion that you could buy these high price, this high value asset, and if you're as long as it's being held in a sort of like nebulous international transit status, uh, you can avoid paying taxes and duties. Yep. Um, and so then, then this is this is kind of actually developed as also then a tax sheltering measure um so i wonder if i wonder if that's a that's a dimension at all if you have these rich people who are like yeah i don't give a fuck i just know that i can put a lot of money into this into this little knife and it's small and it's easy to store and i can use it to evade my taxes and i know that you know i can there and there's also a market of other people trying to hold wealth and shelter it that and that they will also pay for it later down the down the line yeah yeah i mean i guess if you're if you're willing to take the risk that somebody's going to be able to and be, be willing to pay for it later. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely a way to store value for sure. Um, yeah, uh, people have stored value in in art and other things for a long time. It's nothing new, um, and people have evaded taxes basically since their inception. So that's nothing new. The only new thing is that you have extremely wealthy people who are um, twisting twisting laws that are designed sort of like to, for benefits of trade, right? Like if you if you buy something in a port in one place and you have no intention of ever having it in that country where that port is, right? Um, you probably shouldn't pay taxes in that country because it's just it was just a happenstance that it ha- you happened sure. to buy it there. Yeah, so if I so buy you, 80 million um, silicon semiconductors in the port of Singapore, but I'm taking them to the port of... Kalan Lupa, I should not have to pay duty in Singapore and Kalan Lupa. Right, right. right. Okay. So having these like duty-free zones just for the, the, the purpose of trade makes sense, mm-hmm. right? So that you don't have to go back to Singapore and say, look, I didn't sell these to you. Like, I didn't sell any silicone semiconductors in Singapore. Can I have my duty back? And they'll verify it. Like, it's just inefficient mm-hmm. to go through all of that. True. So you have these things, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have... Some some rich assholes who just have decided, oh, I'll just store things there indefinitely. Well, yeah, and then what gets considered a port? <laughs> well, and then anything can be considered a port yeah. if you just ask for it, 
right? Like anywhere there's an airport, you might have these duty free places. So they're they're sort of popping up in weird spots of like Wyoming. Yeah, like it's it's the middle of the United States. It's an American who bought a painting and has is just going to leave it in an airport. Like, come on, you're not moving the painting. You're not doing this for for a specific trade purpose. Mm-hmm. You're you're specifically just evading taxes. This is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if this is what you know, Quark's people are. His, his clients are doing the Federation or their home planet should probably come up with some sort of like tax coordination measure. Yeah. That either the Federation or the home planet takes taxes from them. Yeah. Uh, and, and we just get rid of these tax shelters. Like Quark should mm-hmm. not be able to help evade taxes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the same thing should happen with these like, these, yeah, people from other planets. Yeah. Uh, other planets. What, or, what Quark or, describes or as wealthy our, suckers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or in our own planet, um, we should also do our best to get rid of these these weird tax shelters that exist purely for somebody who can buy like a million dollars worth of canvas. Yeah, uh, mil- millions, millions, millions of dollars, of dollars worth, worth of canvas, canvas and and yeah. and oil paint yeah. mm-hmm. um, in a specific configuration. That is a problem. Yeah. Well, and then also I think I think also then added to it is the fact that then these these are culturally significant things, which is why they're valuable. And the notion that they would just be taken and then hidden in boxes yeah, in airports, yeah, um, and concentrated in those places where they're also very vulnerable to fire and things like that. Although I guess there's probably most of these I think are, are measures they, controlled. They, they really work hard to avoid that. Yeah, they are literal heads um, if something happened. Um, but I mean, like I I have enough problems with an individual owning a priceless piece of art and hanging it in their home where only they and their guests can see it. Mm-hmm. That is obnoxious on its own. Yeah. Hanging it in a place where no one, <laughs> literally no one can see it is, is multiple times worse yeah. Than, yeah. than that. And so here we have very important cultural contact happening. Uh, the earliest antecedents of, of of cultural contact and cultural understanding between the alpha quadrant and the gamma quadrant, and it's being it's just it's going into it's just going into these private collections. Like, and it's it's fine to assign value to these things, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. It's a, yeah, assigning so, value is fine. Yeah, you and you understand why the federation has a problem with it, but it's also you also understand why it's a completely unenforceable position to to render this untenable or illegal. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, like why they actually can't really do anything about it. And and so. and the the federation allows personal property, so yeah, whatever, no big deal. Uh, but I I think they could even say, yes, you're the owner of this, and yes, it has the value, like it will retain its value, and you can sell it to somebody else. But it has to be displayed publicly. Yeah. Um, and if anybody from the planet where it originated asks for it to be returned, it will be. Yeah. Which which would make it riskier. Be, yeah, well, yeah, that would really drive up the risk. <laughs> the value of that going down, yeah. Um, but then if you're the first person, like you could assign, it would it would probably, it would be funny because then the every subsequent sale, it would probably sell for a little bit less uh, as more time has passed and the risk of it being discovered by that planet. <laughs> and the risk of, it, of, of this loot being returned. Yeah, yeah they're increases. Kind of paying, they're kind of paying hot potato with this. Like, <laughs> right. with this so statue. the first person who gets yeah. it is like, I probably yeah. have an entire lifetime before we find that planet, <laughs> uh, at least. Yeah. But, you know, maybe I don't have two lifetimes. Before the looting charge comes down. <laughs> yeah. So you sell it to the next sucker. Uh, and I gotta, each time I gotta get like, rid of this Klimt before that nice <laughs> Jewish family comes back for it. <laughs> um, exactly. I think we have that. <laughs> think 
Cool. Okay. Well, that went into place that I was not expecting, uh, and that's great. That's super. So, Qless. It was uh, it was a weird episode and about about art speculating. <laughs> yes, and that's what I love about this show because it just takes us into weird places. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, it was great. Uh, well, uh, I'm Marshall and I'm Stephen. You can find uh, me um, at Econoboid on Twitter, uh, or you can email me uh, Marshall M A R S H A L L at AndroidsAndAssets.ca. Yeah, and I'm Steve Droids, plural. You stay away from Steve Droid. That's, I gotta stop using that joke. <laughs> no, you gotta keep no, reminding me. Yeah, we gotta keep reminding people. Don't go yeah, to yeah, Steve yeah, Droid. Yeah, yeah. Pervert, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually know. I haven't looked at the page in forever. Um, you can also find the show at, at Asset Droid. Feel free to tweet us, yeah. send us links that you think might be interesting, give us your hot takes on, yeah. you know, 1993's. <laughs> hottest franchise hottest sci-fi franchises yeah we want to we want to know what's that it's the other gene roddenberry show it's about like aliens bald aliens come to earth their their ship is in orbit and they're like they're like energy beings and there's like this like human cop who works for them <laughs> come on come on it's right around this time Cone it's heads. like the mid 90s no 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 anyway <laughs> we're gonna find it I honestly do not. I, once I hear the title, I might know it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's not a show that I ever watched, I think. Okay, fair enough. It's wild. Gene Roddenberry at the end, he was just laying down some interesting stuff. No, at the beginning, too. Oh, yeah, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been and remains Emissaries of Profits by Androids and Assets. Thanks for listening.